this is a win. Whatever happens tomorrow, it doesn't seem like it's going to be anything but another day like this. And a good player is going to win. Um, the USGA needs a win every now and then. Put another log on the fire. Nobody here is getting tired. All right. Hello and welcome back to another Fire Drill podcast. It is late Saturday evening here at the Country Club. Uh, we, we decided to get a, a jump on things. So the leaders are playing their final few holes. Uh, it has been a war of attrition. The wind came in, the temperature dropped. I think it's been an absolutely riveting day of golf. Um, Ryan, you were out there watching. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on this U.S. Open, how it's developed? Yeah. I mean, it's very cool just to be out there for my first time. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's playing very hard. Um, it is, uh, it's just cool to be out there. I mean, it was, uh, it's it, a great leaderboard, obviously. Um, I mean, it, I, I can't wait to watch the finish. I know some of your beloved qualifiers have fallen off the board, but here comes th- Adam Padwin. <laughs> this is definitely big boy golf. Um, Jeff watching, uh, Jeff Ogilvy, by the way, is here. Michael Bamberger's on my left. Ryan French is on my right. I should have done that earlier. My apologies. Um, Jeff watching at home. What what are you seeing out of this golf course and and the way this tournament is shaping up for the Sunday finish? Yeah, I mean it's been pretty compelling, hasn't it? Um, it looks tough out there. That's kind of more fun to watch today than it would be to play. I think. Um, mm-hmm. Will's played great again. I mean, look, it looks there's a little bit of Southern Hills about Will up there and Fitzpat- Matt Fitzpatrick up there again, and Rams hanging in there. Oh, that looks like he's about to make a bogey. So, yeah, fun. Rory's had a tough day. Scotty was out of control there for a bit and then he's as fast as he went up he went down so yeah um just compelling viewing i guess i mean you spend your life playing us opens you kind of don't really understand sort of the joy people get to watch sort of players struggle but today i've kind of enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> michael how much do you love the way this course is testing the players well, it's spectacular and you know jeff's point it, it it's not so much really seeing him struggle it's just seeing what we what has literally been said for 100 years that the best golf courses will produce over 72 holes, the best players. And we're seeing this, you know, all 10 names, uh, like we saw in 1974 at Wingfoot, you know, when it was a murderer's row. This is a murderer's row of, of, the, of the game today. So it must say something about the quality of the golfers and the quality of the courses and how they're, and how they're matching up. Uh, it just couldn't be more fun. I mean, there's some thrilling U.S. Open bogeys going on out there. Like a lot of guys making six, eight footers to save bogey, which is monumental uh, in something like this. And I didn't think the course was set up that much more difficult. You know, the greens are still a little receptive, but this big wind and this cold air came in. And man, that just changed everything. Yeah, it's narrow. If you're on the wrong side of the screen, you're praying you can tupa. You got no chance of, of making. There's no bombs to be made. Any downhill six-footer in the wind looks so difficult. It just looks really, really hard uh, in the appropriately hard. Not like weird hard, just appropriately hard. Yeah. Jeff, and if you rank the, the things that, that players dislike the least from a scoring standpoint, there's brick hard greens, there's long rough. Uh, but w- where does a, a cold, heavy wind fit into that? Yeah, that's pretty up there. I mean, I think if we have, if we have, soft, if we have soft greens – we generally score pretty well, even outside everything else, usually. But if you have firm greens and a wind, cold wind especially, the ball goes shorter. Modern equipment seems to go shorter in the cold. The temperature is sort of temperature um, dependent a little bit. Um, 
Yeah, wind is tough, especially blustery wind. And and even hitting shots sometimes in the wind you can sort of manage, but putting in the wind on fast greens is really, really hard. Maybe the hardest thing. Um, I know people talk about it a little bit, but putting in the wind, especially on days like this when you re- you've got six-footers and you start really thinking, well, I really want to make this, but I really don't want to have six feet coming back. So you start getting defensive over putts and, and the ball's wobbling and you're moving around and stuff. So wind is, I wouldn't say an equaliser, the, the, the least preferred option for weather. I would have thought it's, if it's raining and it's coming straight down, it's not so bad. But if it's blowing really hard, golf gets really difficult. I mean, I'm not sure the average fan understands how much the, the, the wind can move a ball on the ground when the, there's so little grass underneath it, right? Because the greens that we play... I don't feel like wind affects the putts that much, but these things are shaved so slick. They're like, there's no friction there. Like, how, like Jeff, on an eight-footer with a with a serious crosswind on a really fast green, I mean, how much can that really affect the roll of the putt? Oh, I can affect it a lot. I mean, some greens are some greens are sort of sit down below the bunkers or they've got some trees and stuff around are usually okay, but there's a lot of exposed greens around. and um, You could have a dead straight putt that would break from outside the hole in a proper crosswind for sure and so then it gets complicated when you've got a right to left putt and the wind's blowing left to right and um if you've got a downhill putt that you have to hit really really softly if the ball's bowing if the ball is rolling slowly it's going to get hit a lot harder than if the ball is rolling fast so there's a lot of complications there's a lot of guesswork and there's a fair bit of luck involved i think sometimes because gusty wind is up and down and you can do all the calculating you want and aim at left edge if it's blowing left edge if you just get if the, if, the, if the gust lays down it just goes straight and if they get a really big gust it breaks more than the hole so um it's a little bit random but at the end of the day when it's like this good putters usually hold putts anyway the harder putting gets the better putters get further in front usually um putting is a headspace more than any sort of technique probably and great putters have great minds about putting and yeah i don't know it's tough is there a certain kind of putting stroke that lends itself to putting better in, in windy conditions like this? Oh, you would think. I mean, I mean the sort of Snedeker thing, which is the extreme end of the scale, the really sort of short, firm, sort of poppy thing, he putts incredibly well on poor greens and in poor conditions. Um, but, yeah, just, just that solid-looking stroke, you know, the big wavy Ben Crenshaw thing. I'm sure he putted great in the wind. I'm not picking on Ben, but, like, that big sort of Lauren Roberts, Ben Crenshaw, that really slow thing probably doesn't work quite as well. Um, but modern, modern putters are a lot bigger and a lot heavier than they used to be. Um, a lot of mallets, there's a lot more weight in putters than they used to be. So the, the putter probably, the stroke is probably less important than just, as I said, the attitude towards putting the patience. If you, if, if your ball blows offline or it's wobbling when you hit it and stuff, you just got to have patience and realize that it's happening to everyone and you're going to make some and you're going to miss some. I I love all that. It's so, it's so insidery. Ryan, what did you think of the vibe out there? Because I felt like the crowds today were significantly larger than the first two rounds. I don't know if they sold more tickets or or, or what what happened, but I felt like a major uptick in the energy and, 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 and the vibe. What was your take? Yeah, definitely better. Uh, some more people drinking. So uh, funnier crowds. It <laughs> had some energy. Uh, there was chants going on. I mean, it was... I mean, what I would expect from a Boston crowd, it was it was a lot of fun out there. And they're sure. really uh, adopting, of course, as they would Keegan Bradley uh, as one of their own. And that's part of the greatness of Boston. That's part of the greatness of the Open is that, you know, at any Open, uh, they'll suddenly be a crowd favorite. And I would say right now, for sure, it's Keegan Bradley. Oh, no question. Did you hear anything funny out there? Yeah. Uh, John Rahm got called chunky but handsome. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's always – I mean – 
uh, I, I'm always amazed that people like are so dedicated to like just yelling at an, another adult, you know, mm. it's just like, what <laughs> the mm. hell are you doing? Like, okay. You want to like, go John. I mean, I was walking on uh four and John Rahm was like here to the camera away from us and go John, go John over and over and over and over and over again. And John is like, just looking straight ahead and just like, I, I mean, there's no way may, Jeff can maybe tell us, but like, there's no way that doesn't annoy the shit out of you. Like, yeah. okay, dude, I got it. Seven, let's go, let's yeah. go John's ago. Yeah? And the discipline not to even look over oh. there. Just like, that's impressive. I mean, how much at a big tournament, Jeff, when the fans are well lubricated and getting rowdy, like, how, can that really affect a player and get in their head and irritate them? Or how, how easy is it to drown that out? Uh, I mean, well, like in Boston and New York, those two spots, it's very hard to drown out. Um, Phoenix would be another one too. Um, Look, it's fun if it's in a good spirit, I think. I think most guys enjoy the good spirit. I think when it flips a little negative, I think, guys, it can really get under their skin. Um, <laughs> it's fun. I mean, Phoenix can be one or the other. You know, New York, I think, is the best place that if you if there's, if there's a guy doing that and they yell loud in New York, um, and Boston's probably pretty similar. If you turn around and acknowledge them, they get happy and then they get quiet, you know? They, they, <laughs> just, they just want to be acknowledged. I'm here. You're part of this show. Like, well done. Thanks for rooting on and then just quiet and down please um look i don't know it's tough they get very loud you understand that they're having fun but if it's positive i think it's great if it gets negative um it gets a bit aggravating <laughs> yeah one of the well, this stories in my book it always amazes me when at the atlanta um, athletic club when mickelson 2001 pga championship against david toms and gets down to the 70th hole and he's got this long putt and some fans yelled uh something about the break philip it's it's really slow putt you know and on, yeah. on some level the fans know what they're talking about if you camp out around a green for an hour or two and you see a lot of putts and you're you're a golfer you can kind of get a feel for it like you have some information and phil said like he heard it and it hit his subconscious and so he hit his putt harder it went eight feet by he missed the comebacker and in a lot of ways it cost him the pga championship but i give him credit for actually saying it and being honest about it but i mean is that a thing jeff where like fans will will shout out information that might or might not be relevant and like has it ever affected you absolutely um <laughs> yeah absolutely like breaks left jeff it breaks left jeff and then you sort of think well i know it breaks left but does it make more than i let more than i think and now i hit it high now you don't want to miss it left because then they're all going to get into you saying i told you it broke left and so you maybe hit it a bit too high and yeah, it's, I mean, they, like you're right, they do. They've been watching putts all day. And if people have been missing it left all day, then they're just trying to help or, as I said, be part of the show or whatever. But then you start thinking, well, if I miss it left, they're just going to give me the I told you so. So I better give it a bit more than I can see. And, but maybe I'm seeing what it was anyway. And yeah, it's, um, you generally, it happens a few times. You generally get pretty good at drowning it out and just doing your own thing. But um, you certainly listen. And it certainly happens a lot. Yeah, Jeff. When, when the USJ committee uh, meets tonight, decide on the course setup, they have, of course, an idea of what they want for Sunday. Probably going months back. To what degree would they adjust at all in terms of actual position of team markers, actual position of the hole? Um, at what at, at what point? At, to what degree would they make late week adjustments, if at all, uh, depending on weather, leaderboard, or or otherwise? Um. I don't know. I think the USGA is probably pretty set. I hope they're fluid with the weather forecast. They have sort of contingency sort of ideas. Um, certainly, T. I think T positions would be pretty fluid. Um, 
depending on conditions. The pins, as you said, they probably decided that three years ago where they were going to put the pins, you know, um, mm-hmm. during the week. And hopefully there's contingencies for crazy wins and stuff. I would feel like the USGA is the sort of organization that wouldn't have contingency mm-hmm. plans for that. I mean, Augusta certainly is very... <laughs> Augusta certainly seems to move the course around depending on the week. You know, they seem to set the course up each day as appropriate to how it's playing and how it went the day before. Um, USGA, I don't know. I think the tees probably can move around a little bit, but I think the pins are probably set in stone. I would That would be my guess. Hopefully there's contingency, mm. but I don't know. Well, t- tomorrow will be interesting because the, the high is forecast now for 59. It's going to be cold. Wow. And, you know, we saw a big wind blow through here. Um you know, I feel like they've not really pushed this course that hard. You know, we're talking about they put water on the, on the greens yesterday. Um, so cold weather, could they would they tip it out and, and mm-hmm. really like let's make this a ball buster? Or yep. are, are they afraid of, of going too far in one direction? So I think we'll get some of that. Some of the answer to your question tomorrow, Michael, I, yeah. how tough they set up knowing that it's going to be cold. And we, it might be at the end of the day we've got one or two guys under par. Uh, exactly. So um, – as we're sitting here, uh, Fitzpatrick just birdied the 17th hole. He's a solo leader at five under. And he's a really interesting case. Like, you know, he's always been known as this gritty grinder on dangerous on tough courses. Didn't hit it far enough to be a serious contender. But over the last couple of years, like he's embraced the stack system. He's added, excuse me, a lot of horsepower and a lot of speed. And like he's hitting it really far for a guy his size now. I mean, Jeff, can, can you talk about... Um, a similar evolution. I mean, how hard is that for a short hitter to become a above average hitter? And when you have that skill set like he has, and then you, you add another whatever, 10, 15, 20 yards, like how dangerous does that, does that make a guy like Matt Fitzpatrick? Oh yeah. I mean, he's the real deal now. And he, he was quite short when I first played with him. Um, and I thought he was going to struggle at big courses, but yeah, he's got longer. I don't know. It used to, I think it's a lot easier than it used to be. I think the science is really good now. I think golf has been over-scienced from a playing perspective in most areas, but I think the, the physical stuff, like the, the sort of sort of fine tuning the gym programs and, and the, the sort of the, the, the light clubs and the heavy clubs and the, the speed stuff that people do, I think is pretty good now. I think there used to be whenever someone chased a bit of distance, it was usually that was the end of their career and they would go off the wrong way. But mm-hmm. I think now it seems to be pretty well worked out. Everybody's doing it. I mean, I think it's a little bit, sort of overrated um just gaining more distance um you still need to make putts and chip and tiger won all his majors hitting two irons off the tee and stuff so i i still think um it's a fraction overrated but it's a much it's a much more exact science now and there's a much better understanding of how to create speed without trashing your golf game um and equipment too. You can you can do so much more with equipment set up now to, to maximize what you're doing. Whereas before it was just find the best club you could and work out to hit that one far. Now you can really sort of, there's so many shafts and so many head options and so many weights you can do in the club and so many different things that they've learned R&D wise with drivers and golf balls that it sort of complements the physical stuff you're doing. That's fat. Well, that's fascinating, Jeff, because it seems to me if you're, if you're really, really good at golf, you'd much rather change your shaft in your head than change your body. Because if you change your body, your swing is going to have to change as well. As we saw with Tiger, as we've seen Bryson DeChambeau and lot, Rory, lots of people over the years. But if you're just changing the shaft in the head, uh, it's more organic. Would, would, would that be largely accurate? Or Yeah, and I think, and I think, look, a lot of it is 
confidence too. Like when you feel confident with a golf, say a driver and you're trying to hit it far, when you feel confident with a driver, you just hit it harder. You just do mm-hmm. because you feel better about it. And if you feel like the driver's mm-hmm. going a bit skewy, you start slowing down because you're just not sure where it's going to go. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot to that. It's a lot, it's a lot more of an exact science getting drivers into people's hands. And there's a more of an understanding of sort of what stuff will allow you to sort of see the shape that you want. If you see the shape that you want, the ball flight that you want, you get more confident. So you just naturally hit it harder anyway, because you're more confident. So that all sort of complements the, the physical stuff you're doing. So I think it's, it's pretty well understood now. It's, it seems to be all the attention in golf for the last sort of 10 years has gone on how to get guys to hit it further. And when you get smart minds on things, good things usually happen. I still think, as I said, I still think it's a fraction overrated, but for a guy like Matt, it was probably necessary um, mm-hmm. to compete on the big, on the big courses. Um, Cause he's got every other, every other part of the game. So he gains right. 10 or 15 yards. He's going to be, he's pretty dangerous. Right. He reminds me of a, uh a basketball player who's got all the skills and then all of a sudden he grows like eight inches uh-huh. one summer and he's like now he's he's the best player on the court like it, it's really interesting um ryan adam hadwin just finished off his round he's tied for third he seems like your kind of guy yeah i mean he's had some success he's not i mean he's he's a nice dude he's not really a like a grinder i mean he's, he he's done pretty well yeah i mean Ryan, can I ask you, what do you sure. mean he is or isn't a grinder? Because the greatest grinder in the history of golf is Tiger Woods. So what exactly, uh, define your terms here. So my, my, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously he grinds. I think Tiger grinds the greatest, but a grinder is like Hayden Buckley. Like, wasn't supposed to be here. Uh, Who says? So you, you're, you're using it as an I adjective see. or a noun. He's using it as a genre. He's talking about scrappy dudes <laughs> coming from the minor leagues. I understand. Yeah. To me, a grinder is someone like they are so desperate to stay in this game. They will do whatever they have to do, hopefully within legal bounds to stay in the game. I totally agree, except they don't have the talent that Tiger has. I'm not I'm not discounting that Tiger was grinded That's his ass me, off. Tiger, Tiger. But you Hayden know, Buckley. Grind off the charts and talent off the charts. You got Tiger Woods. Who's, yeah. We've never seen anything like it. Hayden Buckley, like. What you know? I mean, obviously, very talented, but like has to work harder, or yeah. as hard doesn't have the skills to do it. So he's he might win one or two PJ Tour events in his entire life. I uh, see some of our colleagues eating pizza. What's up with that? You think pie is being served? Yes. Stay focused, Michael. Oh yes. Yeah. So, so, can I ask a question to, for for all three of you, gents? Where, you know, in in when Jeff first came on tour, of course, this wasn't the case. These major seasons are short and intense and this year in particular to go from augusta national scotty shuffler a great pga championship at southern hills a great u.s open here and then we're going to the old course there are no bad opens at the old course what do you all think about you know april may june july bam 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 then we're out i like it i mean it's it kind of it's just like that you get into this rhythm and then you throw the players in there in march too and you just have kind of a five-month run four month run that really defines the whole golf season and then then you come into the fedex cup and we don't care about that much but it it, it kind of puts a cherry on top of the whole year so and now we got some live events and now we got live <laughs> jeff how do you feel about you it jest but a lot of these guys are excited about the live events right <laughs> yeah true uh wow well, look it's making it's making room for the other half of the year and it? it's like if you get it all in the first half of the year then there's room to do other stuff in the other half of the year maybe uh-huh. um the players, the best part about it is the players in March is so much better than in May. It's yep. just, it just not even close for me. Yeah. Um, and that 
the PGA is weird. I think in May it takes a while to get used to. Still for me, uh-huh. I'm sure for you guys too. But um, it feels like this is the one after the Masters. Still to me in my head, I sort of uh-huh. forget the PGA's been on already just because it was forever the last one. And I don't know, the PGA, there was something about it being the last one. Like when it's buried in the middle, it, it's going to get a, it's not going to be, there was, there was a coolness about it was like the last shot for the year, right? The last chance. That was its sort okay, of sales pitch. Okay, interesting. Uh-huh. That was its sales pitch. But like the, uh, the cadence of them now is perfect, right? You have one, you have a month off, you have one, you have a month off, you have one, you have a month off. It kind of, it's nice. It's a nice sort of rhythm to the season. Yeah, and hmm. it kind of. It, I think we can all agree that PGA is always going to be fourth in most people's rankings of the majors. Um, so in some ways, I, I hear what you're saying, Jeff. There's almost a little bit of a letdown in the end with the PGA, but to end with the major season, the Open at St Andrews. I mean, that's a plus yeah. plus. Like yeah. it's a, a little better exclamation point, I think, on that whole part of the schedule. Yeah. Before we we go too far afield from Adam Hadwin, I, I just want to point out that he met his now wife on Tinder. Um, while he was traveling the tour, which this I'm- week, this week, the Wichita event is on the Corn Ferry Tour. This week, he met his wife. This is their anniversary. X amount of years ago, in uh, at the Corn Ferry event. What now- a what a what a story that'll be. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll throw this out to you, Ryan, and and to you, Jeff. We don't have to say any names. If you want to offer initials or other identifying details, that's fine. But what are the best stories we've heard about players hookups on the road? It just seems germane given Hadwin's lofty position on on the leaderboard. Don't be shy, Jeff. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know uh, wives. A lot of yes, you do. Met wives that I met their wives at Hilton Head back in the good old days. That was always a, the putting green at Hilton Head's always been a pretty good hunting ground for the boys. Um, <laughs> look, I don't know. I know Adam really well, um, and she's great, Jessica. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The fact that Fantastic. they met on Tinder does not mean she can't be great. I feel like there's there's a little bit of judgment in that comment there, Jeff. There was no judgment. Um, <laughs> that's how it's done. That's how it's done these days. You don't camp out yeah, at the bar exactly. anymore, do you? You just you just farm them um, off the thing. There's a few, quite a few boys who have brought out them. Um, have been they get the DMs sent to them on Instagram, and they just basically pick from a bunch of good choices and. Out they come for a few weeks and off they go. And then another one comes out. So there's been a few who have played that game for a while. It's a different, look, it's a different world now. It used to be hard work. You used to have to putt or putt all afternoon at Hilton Head, but now you can just sit on your phone all afternoon. <laughs> yeah, strokes game putting really changed the week after the Masters for sure. Ryan, come on. The greedy minor leagues, you must have some stories. Uh, Latin American tour. A uh, gentleman met a fine Colombian woman um, and... Uh, Brought her back to the hotel. Uh, there was a knock on the door, and it was her husband. And uh, he ran out of the. Uh, he jumped out of the first. It was on the first floor. The window. He had none of his clothes. His yardage book was in there. Everything. Uh, it was a. It was a bad situation. Mo- mostly for his golf because his yardage book was. He was fine. He escaped, but. Uh, I mean, Jeff will tell you without your yardage book and all the notes. Shit's going sideways. <laughs> like he never went back to his hotel room? He just like abandoned the property? No, no, it was her hotel room. Oh, it was her hotel room. I see. That's an important piece of... All right, well, this begs a lot of questions. We're going we're gonna to save those for another podcast. I feel like this could be an entire podcast. That would be amazing. If we could get Jeff to be like unfiltered about stories he's heard. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, man. Can we get Tiger on here? Jeff, Michael. Michael, ask Jeff. 
I mean, ask uh, Tiger if we can get him on here and tell some stories. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll go to Steinberg and he'll go. Yeah, to yeah, Tiger. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'm sure we'll get a yes. But has has Tiger ever done a podcast? I don't think he's has he ever been a guest on a podcast. Not that I've. Ever I don't heard, think so. Ever. Let's that's, ask. I mean, that's actually unbelievable. The first person who ever gets a Tiger. Here podcast. he comes, Tiger. Come on in. Oh, just kidding. Right. I mean, in this day and age, that like every player's done podcasts. It's just a thing. Jeff, along along the lines of what you were saying a minute ago, uh, Alan knows this very well, but Alan and I had a boss named Jim Harry for years at Sports Illustrated, and he was like a savant for story ideas. And and Jeff Maggart had won some big event, and I think a million dollars, well, probably the Tour Championship. And, and Harry said, there's no way this guy is this boring. Go see the guy and see what he's up to. So I went and saw Jeff Maggart, I think, at, the, uh, at one of those events outside D.C. when the Kemper Open was there. And we talked about his sex life for about three hours on the record. <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you write the story? <laughs> oh, no, he was written up. <laughs> oh, it's a classic. We were just talking about this last night at dinner. And not only did Jeff talk in great, vivid detail about his sex life, Michael also interviewed his, his ex-wife, his new wife. Like It was utterly fascinating that all these people just told you everything. And the mother who said, he seems for a while like he was dealing with depression issues, but not anymore. <laughs> I'm making that last part up. I don't want to demean depression issues because he did have depression issues, according to Larry. He's a complicated, interesting guy. But man alive, did he hit the golf ball straight. I'm sure you played a lot with him. What an exit out of well, that. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to bring it back that here. Here the whole what a, what, he just wants to bail on the whole thing. Did Michael, Jeff Maggard hit the ball straight or what? Stop it, Michael. Jeff stop Maggard it was right a great now. Player. He was a great player. You just it was great. This is well, ridiculous. And <laughs> Brian, here's another guy, Ryan, just so you know. Here's another guy who hit it really straight, Brian Gay. Well, what about his sex life? That's not Happily my business. Married. <laughs> Happily married. Um, although Brian Gay, I saw him at a, when Justin Timberlake first became um, a host in Las Vegas. There was a, a great concert when I went to it. Like 50 Cent was there and a bunch of other big name people get, got up and jammed with Timberlake. It's one of the best concerts ever. And all the tour players turned out because they got tickets. And I thought Brian Gay was just as boring. Dude, he showed up and he was in like snakeskin boots, skin tight jeans, like this black leather shirt that was like unbuttoned to his belly button. I was like, clearly Brian Gay is more interesting than I thought. And that led to a whole big story. And I've always loved Brian Gay and Kimberly, his bride. And so, if you see Brian Gay when you go to the Dylan show in a couple of weeks in Santa Cruz, you better write that up. I will write that up. And if he wears that same outfit to Dylan in Santa Cruz, it will not fly well. Yeah, that, I am going to Dylan next week. I, I refuse to let go that we had a, we transitioned from Jeff Maggard's sex life for three hours to how straight he hits the ball. A, no yeah. one cares about how straight Jeff Maggard Jeff, is. Jeff and I do. It's a, it's a family <laughs> podcast, Ryan. Oh, okay. um, I still, when, when you rank the most mortifying ways to lose a major championship, like... Blowing like a two and a half foot putt like Scott Hoke. That's on the list. Um, two chip chen. Yeah, t- yeah, two chip chen. Jesus. Signing the incorrect scorecard uh, like DiVincenzo. Like, but Jeff Maggart, when he doinked himself in the chest at Augusta, remember he was in that fairway yep. bunker? Was that maybe on five? Or, yep. <laughs> like, uh, maybe earlier in the round. Yeah, or a little earlier. And it was on like, three. Three. Three yep. is on three. Yep. Like, oh, God. Were you playing with him? <laughs> <laughs> no. I remember that watching it. I was gutted for him. How unlucky. Yeah. Do you think now that the rules changed, he's super pissed off about it? He is. No. It's just too much like, of a gentleman oh. for that. A guy named Bill Campbell, who's a former president of USGA, spent 50 years of his life trying to get that rule changed. He died and they changed it. 
<laughs> but it was a bad rule. I mean, you got two what? shots for hitting yourself. Come on. I bro. mean, this is this is why I question my my space on this podcast is things like that. I mean, hey. I don't even know who that guy is. That's all right. And like, I mean, yeah, but what do we know about some of your players? Yeah, I mean, we're all educating each other here, Ryan. Um, all right, let's try and bring this back to the, the issue at hand here. We've gone very far afield, but this is the United States Open Championship. Yep. We're heading into the final round. Yep. It's it's an A-plus leaderboard. Yep. Um, we know it's going to be cold. We don't know how windy it's going to be tomorrow. You're uh, such a lurker. It's so obvious. <laughs> Sam Burns. Absolutely. Yeah. Alan, still got it. Well, I mean, he struts around like he's already won five U.S. Opens. Like he The does. guy has one of the all-time struts. I will say, Rory he's McElroy. Big. Yep. is playing an extremely impressive round because he's got nothing, but he is grinding so hard, and he's made some great bogeys. He's made some great Did he start today at three, and now he's one? Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, he looks like he's shooting 80. So yep. if, if Rory, he's still got three more holes to go as we, as we tape this. If, if he can get in the barn, like, Jeff, knowing what you know, what would you hazard will be the winning score tomorrow? Oh, look, it's going to be cold. It's not going to yes. be any better than four under, is it? Um, oh, I don't think oh, any lower than that. Yeah, yeah. I would sell I'll that sell for four, and I'll have you two. Yeah, yeah. Two I or, think two or three or something. Yeah, yeah. Which means anyone who's at plus one, even plus two, either they go out early and, and you know shoot it. Or sixty-six would be an unbelievable round. Sixty-seven would be incredible. But like Dustin Johnson's plus two, if he goes out and just you know free wheels a little bit because he's just far enough out of the lead, like. Uh, you never know, but you, you know what's amazing about this board top. You know, from the names that we can see right here. And, and this is a total compliment to the U.S. Open. No flash, all substance. R you know, that's true. R right down the list. And it's, it's it's great to see. And, you know, as we've said many times, you know, how did Chad Campbell not win, you know, a U.S. Open? How did Jeff Maggard not win a U.S. Open? But there is a type of golf that wins U.S. Opens. And every one of these guys, you know, now John Rahm is a super mega talent, but he's still. Oh, he's a grinder. Mold. Yeah, he's a great every which way to Sunday, you know. Yeah. Sevy didn't fit the mold, and he never won a U.S. Open. Yeah, you know that's not How a shock. How did Nick Faldo never win a U.S. Open? That that's defies a shock. belief. Yeah, defies belief. Yeah, um, you know that Tom Kite did, of course. That Ben Crenshaw didn't, of course. Yeah, some things make sense. I'll never. Yeah, so Faldo. this board makes sense, and I'm happy for the USGA. I mean, I think they, I think they needed a week like this. It's been a crazy, hectic year in the world and in in golf, and it's just. A delight to come here to this old-timey course and see an old-timey leaderboard and have this cool weather. It's just great. It's fun. Yeah, I think we, I think all of us probably have recognized when the USGA makes mistakes and they have their shortcomings like any big organization. But I think, I can't speak for Ryan. He's sort of an anarchist. But me, you, and Jeff, like we appreciate the USGA, that they're, they are the governing force in this game and their heart's in the right place. And so... Uh, so I think some people delight when they screw up the setup and they get to rip them, including some players and some reporters. But I, I like when this is successful. Yes, open. I, I feel a bit of relief almost. Yeah. What, and if they shoot twenty under, if, if the old course is still for four days and they shoot twenty under, the RNA guys will be like, "That's cool." They may not use the phrase, but they'll be all right yeah. with it, and that's that's great too. I mean, does, is there any? Do you have any emotion, Jeff, just watching this open play out with beautiful old golf course? Nice setup, no controversy, great players on the board. Is, is that sort of pleasing for you the, the, in some way? Yeah, I agree with everything you guys have said. Absolutely. It's, they, need a, they need a win. I mean, it's a good year for a win too, right? Especially at a great course like this. Great venue. It's unfolding like it's going to be a great one. I mean, it's just it's, there's nothing worse than when they go to a place like Shinnecock, which is one of the best courses in the world, and yeah. they, just get too, they just get too excited and they just, they just make Shinnecock look stupid. Like it's just... It's incredibly annoying and frustrating. <laughs> yep. um, 
this is a win. This is a win. Whatever happens tomorrow, it doesn't seem like it's going to be anything but another day like this. And a good player is going to win. Um, the USGA needs a win every now and then. Yep. I was yeah, talking to a well Brookline said. police officer today, and you know he, he was here in 88, and he was here in 99 for the Ryder Cup, and he was here, in, I don't know if he was here in 63, but of course he's here this year. And I was like, they've had nothing but good tournaments. And then the guy says, and what about 13? And he wasn't talking about the USAM in, in 2013. He was talking about the fact that they've had nothing but great US Opens here, and yet you know, it's not on the rota, yeah. as you said, for the reason, you know, the follow the money reasons. But it's a shame, really. Yeah. Well, you know... It's not set in stone. I mean, the USGA has scheduled out a number of opens, but there's there's some empty spots. Are there? Like, yeah, I haven't looked for at sure. That they're person. not they're not books all the 2051 uh-huh. or whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, like the PGA th- is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this has been so successful. I think there's been so much praise. Like, hopefully, they'll re-examine it. So, you know, let's find a way to get back here in a decade. Like, I think that yeah. that can happen. You know, when something exceeds expectations and people fall in love with it and it's universally acclaimed, they they would it'd be silly not to rethink it. And yeah. Now, whether like the, the club Brooklyn wants it back and. Um, you know, that's maybe a secondary issue, but uh, it would it would be cool to have it back. Yeah. Do we want to um, do we want to make predictions for tomorrow? Are we that kind of podcast? I don't think so. No, no, we're not. Okay, all right. Well, let's. This is a short, snappy uh, fire drill. That's good. Uh, people are busy on Saturday night, but uh, Jeff, what does your T-shirt indicate? I can't see it from here. It's Link Sol. Oh, neat. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think wow, way to get a sponsor in there, Michael. Sponsors. Yeah. What a, yeah, what yeah. an organic. Yeah, little ad that, that was natural. Way to go! Yep. Do we have any other sponsors? Hundred percent cotton. Very nice. Link Soul is one of the sponsors what, today. Is a sponsor? Yeah. yeah. We want yeah. the listeners like, at home to know that, that, that is the meaning of organic. That was organic. That is yeah. the meaning of. We organic. can only barely see, see the top of Jeff. Did you, see, did you hear Ogilvy segue to the organic cotton in the shirt? Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. That's <laughs> the biggest takeaway for me, Jeff Maggard's sex life. I mean, I don't even know what to say about it. We should also mention. Our favorite golf app, Par Points, which is also one of our sponsors. And sometimes we joke around, but we do love our sponsors because they help us keep the lights on and we get to do cool stuff like this. So yeah. thank you to Par Points and Link Soul. Thank you to the listeners for being here. Um, it's been an incredibly long week. I feel like I've been at the country club for a month. I, that is, well, we don't get here on Monday. and We did this year. Yeah. It was neat. I've liked it. Yeah. Flood of content. And um, with the late tea times on Saturday and Sunday, hopefully all you guys out there are catching up. If you go to our landing page, uh, firepitcollective.com you can click on one button it'll take you to everything we've done this week so um, I hope you'll check that out so Jeff thank you for uh, your time and your insight Michael Ryan we'll do this again um, thanks for listening and we'll do it again tomorrow when we have a champion that's it from uh, the country club at Brookline Massachusetts Another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.